Thank you, uh, Casey. Awesome to see how the Lord's bringing such talent to our church body. And uh, I was fired up when he said he wrote a song and then heard it. And I was like, and you can sing. You will be doing that in two weeks. So uh, God choosing him uh, greatly in the life of our church already, and we appreciate him. You brought a Bible with you this morning. Say amen. And uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. If you're visiting with us, I just finished up a series of messages entitled, How to Be a Spiritually Fit Family. And uh, now that we're done with that, we're jumping back into our verse-by-verse study of the Luke's uh, Gospel. So Luke, chapter 9, and this morning I want to talk to you on the subject, Show Me Your Glory. Luke, chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. You got it there in front of you? Say amen. And stand with me in honor of God's Word. Verse 27, Luke, chapter 9. Title is Show Me Your Glory. Notice what Jesus says. It's him speaking here in verse 27. He says, I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here uh, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us uh, make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was asking. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed over and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Let's bow together. Father, it's a uh, great privilege to open up uh, your book and to be able to see how you are speaking directly to our hearts. And God, I'm overwhelmed by this passage and uh, just how you've led us to this particular point. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would uh, fill with your spirit and uh, give grace to the voice that it might continue to uh, finish up this particular service. And God, I pray that ultimately we would be able to uh, pray and really shout it out like um, Moses did in the Old Testament when he prayed, show me your glory. So God, do that this morning. We pray for an understanding of your presence. We pray that you would speak clearly to our hearts and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in your holy name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. So the title of the message this morning, very simply, is Show Me Your Glory. It's an interesting question to kind of start off a um, sermon. So I'll kind of ask it like this. Does God come to our church on a regular basis? Does God show up to church at Concord? You know, in the uh, New Testament, we have Jesus writing letters to churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, one of the letters in which he wrote, he describes the fact that he is standing on the outside of the church, knocking on the door. And he even says, I am knocking on the door. If any man will open it up, I will come in and be with him. And so in that text of Scripture, we find that Jesus was not invited to church. And I want to make sure that we as a fellowship 
uh, be very cautious of the fact that we need desperately to invite the Lord Jesus to come to church. Amen? And bottom line is, very quickly, this here is not just some, let's get to church and check it off the spiritual list. But this is a goal where we can actually come together and we can meet with God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so I would ask that question, does God come to church? here at Concord. In fact, I could ask, are we at Concord experiencing a visible, obvious, and undeniable work that can only be attributed to the God of glory? You know, our mission is to make disciples everywhere. Disciple is one who worships, reaches, grows, and serves. And as we're about the Lord's mission, there must be a longing in our hearts to experience the glory of God come down in our midst. You know, Paul the Apostle tells us that the place where the glory of God shows up currently is actually in the church. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21, the Bible says this, Paul writing, Now to him, speaking about the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, listen, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Where's the glory? It is in the church, and it is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, to all generations forever and ever. See, our fellowship's objective is to make certain that all praise is given to God alone and that his glorious perfections are shown forth in the church. So God can, in a unique fashion, really show up and work mightily in our midst as we seek his glory. You know, the term glory, I've been studying it for the past couple of weeks, and I've been pretty fired up about it because I was just studying it on my own, and then I was looking at Luke's gospel and all of a sudden realized everything just kind of came together, that what God was teaching me on my own actually matched perfect with what he wanted me to preach this morning. So I began to look at that word glory and ask what exactly does that word mean? You know, the most common Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which literally means heaviness of importance. It speaks of God's glory. Uh, It speaks of his magnificent. It describes his manifest presence among his people. And the Greek word to describe glory, and you may wonder why Hebrew and Greek, Old Testament is Hebrew, New Testament is Greek. But the, the, the Greek word for glory is doxa, where we get the concept of the doxology. So glory is also a description of God's manifest presence among his people working mightily. God describes uh, glory in the scriptures as his splendor, his brightness, his light, his beauty, his holiness, his majesty, his goodness, his greatness, and his reputation. See, what emanates from God is glory. You know, one author says it like this, heat emanates from fire, glory emanates from God. As wet is to water, glory is to God. As light is to a bulb, glory is to God. In other words, when you stand uh, near heat, you know there is a source of that heat. Whenever you jump into the water, you can feel the wetness. Whenever you are in a dark room and you turn on the light, you know in that moment that it is bright. And the same reality is when the glory of God falls down upon a New Testament church, you flat know about it. You know, as I studied this idea of glory, it helped me to consider it as a voice speaking to us. You see, the glory of God... You know, the Bible says, in a whisper, 
All right, go with me on this analogy. In a whisper, all of creation is declaring the glory of God. So creation is whispering about the Lord. God is saying, I exist. The glory of God in the Old Testament tabernacle filled the place. It's almost like it goes from a whisper now to an audible voice where the Lord is saying, I am here. And then you continue through the scriptures and all of a sudden now the Son of God comes on the scene and glory screams as the Father is speaking through the Son saying, here I am. See, the Bible teaches, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1, the Scripture says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. The Lord Jesus Christ is indeed God incarnate, God in the flesh. Jesus is God of very God. You want to get to know God? Look to Christ. God has revealed himself. As John 1 gives the imagery, God has pitched his tent in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the Lord Jesus emanates the glory of God the Father. There's no doubt that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's nature. You know, as we study throughout the scripture, we've got that voice whispering. We've got that voice speaking. We've got that voice screaming, shouting to us. But currently in our context today, Jesus has died, been buried, resurrected, and then he ascended into the heavens. But in this current church age, and please listen, this is awesome. God has chosen to reserve his glory to come down within his church. So within the context of a corporate gathering of people, God in a unique fashion will show up and work mightily in the midst of that group of people. That is, as we gather corporately to worship, God will choose to manifest His glory among us, those who are seeking Him. See, we need to gather together to experience His splendor, to experience the weightiness of His presence, the power of His mighty hand at work in our midst. You know, I've been in church services where it was evident that God was present and in the house. I've also been in church services where it was evident that God was not invited. Lord, help us. We do not want to become a church like that. God's glory is currently, and please listen, man, because this will uh, blow your mind, but it is awesome. God's glory is currently reserved on earth for the church but the problem is, if we aren't careful, the same thing can happen to us that happened to those in the Old Testament. When the ark of God was captured by the Philistines and it left, you'll find that they gave birth to a child in Jerusalem and they said, name that child Ichabod, for the glory of the Lord has gone. Some of the stuff I've been reading and looking at, many believe that the glory of the Lord has left the church in North America, that God's glory has just flat out dissipated because the people are gathering together as a little club instead of a place that is passionately pursuing the Son of God and His heart. And so I want to encourage our fellowship to make sure that 
There never comes a time when the Lord would write Ichabod over the doorway of this fellowship saying the glory has gone. Man, we want to experience God's glory. You can come to church and leave and be able to say emphatically God was there. That's what kind of church we desire to be. And so this morning we're going to look together at glory come down in a unique fashion. And then we're going to ask the question, what happens when the glory comes down? What happens at Concord when the glory of the Lord fills the place with the weightiness of His presence? What happens? Now, before we answer that question, I need you to see from the text what I've called a blockbuster glimpse of future glory. A blockbuster glimpse of future glory. You know, Jesus made a promise. Did you see it? Did you see it? Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 27. Look at it in your Bible. Jesus says, I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus promised that some of the disciples would see the kingdom of God face to face. Fulfilling that promise, the Lord gave a sneak preview of a coming attraction. The attraction is the glory of God in Christ establishing His kingdom on the earth. Sneak peek is of what the Bible calls the millennium. That is the 1,000 year earthly reign of Jesus Christ at His second return here on the earth. We as a New Testament church are longing for that particular day when Jesus Christ comes and puts his foot down in Jerusalem and he rules and reigns there and his glory floods the entire earth. In this text, we are like the other disciples given a sneak preview of this glorious kingdom which is coming. But you know what makes the kingdom glorious is the king. Notice with me verse 29. While he was praying, here by the way is the king. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. See, the Lord Jesus was praying and the scripture states that the appearance, that is the outward form of his face, was actually altered. You know, my study trying to figure out how to describe to you what was going on on this particular occasion is a bit like trying to explain the vastness of the ocean to a man who cannot see or hear. It's like what's occurring in this text is so glorious that I can't even remotely begin to scratch the surface of what Peter, James, and John had the opportunity to experience. You know, the word used in Matthew's gospel, chapter 17 and verse 2, to describe what's happening here is the term transfigured. In the Greek New Testament, the word transfigured is the Greek word metamorphothē. We derive our English word metamorphosis from this Greek New Testament word. Metamorphosis is the act where a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That's the working out of that scientific term. It describes one changing from the inside out. Now Jesus is experiencing metamorphosis on this mountain. Jesus is not becoming someone altogether different in this text. Jesus is stepping outside of the cocoon of his humanity for just a moment. And he is displaying his full beauty and his full deity and his full glory to those who are present. You know, notice the scripture says that his clothing became white and gleaming. 
See, the glory of Jesus Christ revealed affected everything that touched him. You know, in the scripture, we find that God is the father of lights. We also find in the scripture that God is light, not in his essence, but God portrays light. Jesus came on the scene and he said, I am the light. In the book of Revelation, we have a picture of heaven. And the Bible says that there is no darkness there because Jesus, the Son, is radiating light in the place 24-7. So Jesus is indeed light. And in this moment, on this mountain, Jesus, by the hand of God the Father, has been given the power to be transfigured and pull back the cape, as it were, to show them His glory and his kingdom an awesome deal notice verse 30 behold two men were talking with Jesus and they were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory were speaking about his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem so notice they were appearing in glory too. These two men of faith who have gone on before us, they are experiencing the glory of God. The weight and reality of His gracious and goodness presence, they are experiencing it 24-7. You know, as I read this text of Scripture and kind of meditate on it, I'm a little... Uh, questioning why these two men. What is the deal? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses represents in the Old Testament the law of God. Speaks about the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial law, as well as the sacrificial system of law. So we see that in Exodus chapter 20. Moses represents the law. And also you have in this particular text the prophet Elijah. And indeed, Elijah... And the Lord and Moses are all standing there and they are talking about the impending death of Jesus Christ on the cross at Jerusalem. You know, as a matter of fact, the word departure is the Greek word exodus. Uh, one commentator notes, Moses had led Israel out of bondage into Egypt. That was an exodus. And Elijah had delivered Israel from bondage to false gods. That also was an exodus. But Jesus, he would come and die on the cross. He would come and bear the just wrath of God the Father for our sin upon his own body. Jesus would come as our substitute, dying in our place, being buried and resurrected, so that he could free us from the bondage of sin and the condemnation of the law. That is the ultimate exodus. So the glorified Son of God is hanging out with Moses and Elijah when all of a sudden, verse 32 in your Bible, now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men with him. Uh, by the way, what is the deal of these disciples always taking naps? Some lazy jokers, aren't they? Every time it's time to pray, they're like catching up on Z's, man. It's their problem. Blockbuster glimpse of future glory. But you know, as I consider these old boys sleeping on the side of the mountain, I find this to be true within church as well. God is really working, and there is a phenomenal sense of His presence which you can feel. And I mean, the weight of His glorious presence is heavy in the room, yet there are those who are sleeping and just ho-hum about the whole thing. And they're like, when is this going to end, man? When is this over? I've got so much to do this week. 
Listen, I would love to be able to say to you spiritually, wake up, yo. God's in the place. Open your spiritual eyes and experience what is only promised to the New Testament church, the manifest presence of God in a unique and glorious way. God comes to church, and we can come together and experience Him. You know, our text reveals this blockbuster glimpse of future glory. Jesus said they would see his kingdom before death. And that is exactly what Jesus gave them a glimpse of. He fulfilled his promise to them as it is found in Luke's gospel, chapter 9 and verse 27. Now, whenever I talk about the glory of God uh, falling down upon the church, I am talking about a real sense of his presence among us. And kind of like Moses, man, I don't want to go anywhere unless the presence of God is with us. And we want God to be invited to the fellowship. We want God to show up to church on weekend and week out. We want to be able to come here and say, man, I'm going to meet with God. It should be our prayer. But what happens, man? What happens when we really begin to experience the glory of God in the context of the church? A couple of things. When we experience the glory of God, we want nothing less. We want nothing less than the glory of the Lord. I love Peter's response here to seeing the glory of Jesus. Look in your Bible again at verse 33, the first half there. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. So Peter sees Elijah and Moses separating from Jesus, and he calls out for everybody to say. And when he says it's good for us to be here, it literally means that it is fitting or even advantageous. So he's like, Master, hey, hey, don't leave. Let's stay right. It will be advantageous if we all just stayed right here. And notice what he does in verse 33. He's like, let us make three tabernacles. And I love this. Uh, one for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, and one for you, Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. Now, upon first glimpse of Peter's statement, you're like, yeah, build some tents. Let's hang out here. Uh, Peter's like, I've seen the glory of Christ. Nothing else matters anymore. Put up some tents, man. We'll stay right here. The idea of throwing up some tents has some roots in it. You know, one of the Jewish customs set in motion by God in the Old Testament was the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths in the Old Testament, was considered to be one of the greatest of Israel's holidays. The festival was the third great occasion that all Hebrew males were required to observe every single year. It was shortly after the Day of Atonement. So the Festival of Booths, it lasted for a week and it involved a pilgrimage. So what would happen is that all of Israel, they would actually travel in to Jerusalem. And whenever they showed up in Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles, they would come in and set up tents. And so they would build these makeshift tents for them to live in for that particular week. And they're celebrating something. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating God's taking of the children of Israel out of Egyptians' bondage into the promised land. And they are celebrating God's provision and protection as they wandered for 40 years in the desert and they lived in makeshift tents there. And so they gather together and they celebrate and they recite the law of God given to Moses in the presence of everyone. 
Now, as you study the Old Testament, you find that Israel, more often than not, would turn a deaf ear to God, and they would harden their hearts to the Lord. And in doing so, quite often, many of these festivals would not be celebrated year in and year out. The festival of booze was one such festival. They let it fall off the scene. However, as we read in Nehemiah, we find that Ezra actually led the people of God to celebrate the festival of booze. And it was in this time frame that Zechariah was present. He began to prophesy. And he was talking specifically about how all of the nations were coming to Jerusalem. Are y'all listening? Say yes. He says all of the nations, not just Israel. He's like, all of the nations are coming to Jerusalem. And listen, they are celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this promise, this prophecy was linked to the coming of Messiah King. So Zechariah could see it in a vision. The Lord Jesus Christ returning to the earth and all the nations coming to Jerusalem as Jesus sets up his kingdom on the earth and they celebrate that phenomenal feast of tabernacles. You know, Jewish author David Brickner writes this and I quote, Peter's comments may sound silly to some, but it was a direct response to all that he had witnessed. He saw the Lord transformed into something glorious. He saw Moses and Elijah and quite possibly concluded that the kingdom of God had come to earth at last. And now Peter was not offering to pitch a tent for a night's rest. He was offering to build tabernacles in order to celebrate the inauguration of the kingdom of God on the earth. The problem is that the transfiguration was only a preview of the coming attraction. And Peter saw it. But even though he saw the preview, he was like, this is it, man. I want nothing less. Application. I think this is true as well within a worship gathering. It's like when the glory of the Lord is experienced in the church with other believers, prayer escalates, praise triumphs. I mean, people are singing with every fiber of their being from the front to the back to the sides. Everybody is getting their praise on to the Lord. Sin's chains are broken. And listen, broken by the power of God, salvation springs up from the ground. And there's a real weighty reality of the fact that God is among us. And when we experience that, we start saying stuff like, I want nothing less, man. Throw up a tent. I don't want to leave this place. God's here. And when the glory of the Lord is experienced in the church, it's like you on Saturday night, before you get ready to come to church, your heart starts beating a little faster. And you get fired up about being here. It's like I'm going to see God with God's people. Going to experience the Lord with other believers. You don't wake up Sunday morning going, well, I guess we better go to church today. And you're like, I can't wait to get down there with God's people. I cannot wait to meet with God. Can't wait to see how he shows up and moves in the lives of people this week. Somebody's, yeah, but, but man, there's a ball game on Sunday. So what? Ball game, listen, that is not where the glory comes down. The glory comes down in worship. And listen, you know, I, I, now I like football. Are y'all all right? And y'all can look at me and tell that I probably was a linebacker at one time in my life. 
but I enjoy watching football, but I'm a little bit, um, I get a little sideways watching it sometimes because of how these individuals act when they're at the games. You got grown men. They're painting their bodies. They're holding up number one signs, big old hands and fingers. They're wearing hats with all kinds of stuff on them. And then as, uh, you know, the ball game's going on, and these are 20-year-old individuals running up and down on a grass field, and these men are going absolutely nuts, cheering them on. And I was talking with uh, Krista yesterday about that occasion, and I made the comment that I do not want to be seen giving my best worship and praise at a ball game to something so insignificant when we can get together with the people of God and we worship Jehovah God. There is no one like Him because there is no one but Him. And when we gather together and experience His glory, it's like every single thing I've got, man, I want to bend my heart towards heaven. And as I do that, and worship him as king of kings and lord of lords all of a sudden now there's this longing in my soul that Christ himself would come back in glory and set up his kingdom and when I look to his return it encourages me as 1 John says that I would purify myself I want to live for the glory of God and give my very best to the son of God because he alone is worthy of it praise be to God amen And once we experience the glory of God, we want nothing less. We're like, I can't go to a dead church no more. I want to go where God is. Something else happens when the glory comes down. When we experience the glory of God, listen to this, our ears are in tune with God's voice. Our ears are in tune with God's voice. Look at 34 through 36 again. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. Uh, what formed... Say it out loud. Starts with a C and ends with a loud. What is it? It's a cloud. Cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Now, consider for a moment behind the backdrop of this glorious metamorphosis is God the Father. He is the one with the power to transfigure Jesus Christ in the twinkling of an eye right before Peter, James, and John. Now, the audible voice of God is sufficient evidence in this text to speak of God's presence. We hear Him speak in the Bible. You know, I find something magnificent tucked away in verse 34. There's a cloud that overshadowed them. And the reason that that little phrase stands out to me is because reading the Old Testament prophet Nahum on one occasion, I was struck by his comment concerning God the Father. He says this, And the clouds are the dust beneath his feet. You've been walking, as I have, on a breezy day and looked up to take in a blue canvassed sky with splotches of white clouds perfectly arranged. Now picture those clouds in your mind's eye for just a moment. You see them there? And then hear the voice of Nahum once again where he says, the clouds are the dust beneath his feet. 
How mighty and grand our God must truly be if the clouds are a picture of the dust that He kicks up as His presence passes. And think of the event Peter and the others are experiencing. They see the glory of the Lord and they experience the dust of God's feet as He walks upon the scene. And the voice of God affirms to everyone present that Jesus is the chosen king. Hey, the one promised in the Old Testament to David, who would come as king of kings and set up an eternal kingdom, that Messiah king, God's like, see my son? Yep, that's him. So he speaks directly of Christ. You know, I'm of the frame of thinking that what happens when the glory enters into a worship service is that individuals hear the voice of God speak to them. We are consumed with the latest ideology, the latest church culture craze, or even the latest church strategy, but we are overwhelmed by the greatness of God's voice. We want to hear from heaven. We want God to speak clearly to our situations. Some of you come to worship today, and man, you want to hear from God. We want God to give a specific word to our needs. We desire for God to set us right and tell us what we need to do. And God spoke on the Son's behalf, and He's like, listen to Him. See Jesus? Listen to Him. And when the glory comes down in the context of a fellowship, the Word of God soars into the hearts of His people. The Lord's voice rings in our hearts. Now, the imagery that came to mind as I was putting this together was a massive bell, a picture of the Liberty Bell for a moment. And inside the bell was that long, hangy-down thing. I don't know the name of it, all right? But it's down there in the middle, and as soon as you pull the bell, that thing rams against the side, and it reverberates that bell, and the sound bursts forth and radiates from the bell. When God's glory falls upon a fellowship... Jesus Christ himself speaks to our hearts individually. And our hearts are like a bell. And Jesus reaches down into our soul and he speaks clearly to us through his word, through the worship. And as he speaks, it bangs against the side of our soul and it reverberates from our life so that the very voice of the Lord shows up in our midst, changes us, and empowers us to go forth and make more disciples. It's the glory of God. You know, you can actually leave a time of worship saying, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God spoke to me today. God took me to the floor about some things today. God put a word of direction in my heart today. God gave me a word of encouragement today. God gave me a warning today. God showed me that I needed to make some things right with a brother or sister in Christ today. God spoke directly to me. And listen, I don't want us to become a church that is ho-hum, kind of like, whatever happens, man, whatever. And some people are like, well, if the Lord speaks to me, that's great, but if I don't hear from Him in months, well, that's fine too. Not me, man, I ain't fine with it. I want to know God is with us. I want to know God is speaking to us. And the disciples were able to catch a glimpse of what it was going to be like at the return of Jesus Christ in glory. And they witnessed it. And then we, because the Spirit of God inspired 
Luke to write this gospel. You and I are now given the opportunity to just get a little glimpse of it. But then as we study the New Testament, we find, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's glory will uniquely show up in the context of the church and work mightily in our midst. It's who we serve. God of gods. The only God. And as the glory of the Lord falls on the fellowship, we'll be shocked at how people's lives are radically changed. Look, it's been phenomenal what God's done in this fellowship. Fired up about it. It's not because we're slick. It's not because we've got some kind of uh, methodology that's different than somebody else. It's because God in His own grace, decides to show up here uh, on the weekends. And if we take that for granted, man, he will flat leave. And we can get together and talk church all day long, but God wants to show up and minister in the midst of his people. And as we do this, and we get our praise on and really lift up this King of kings, this Lord of lords, this one who's standing in glory in Luke's gospel chapter 9. When we get our worship on of Jesus, the Bible says he draws people to himself. That's the greatest evangelism. Lifting up the Son of God. Worshiping him. Giving him our best. And we get to see what it looks like for Jesus to rule and reign in our hearts. And for Jesus to rule and reign in the context of a church. He's the head of the church, and we submit ourselves to his authority. And really, man, that's been my prayer over the past couple of weeks. And God, I'd invite you to pray it along with me. That we will be like Moses. Lord, uh, show me your glory. Are y'all listening? Show me your glory. I want to get here and not experience God. I want to get here and not know Christ is with us. Lord, help us. Father, we're grateful for your word.